that Post Malone has actually been an amazing thing for Magic, because you can tell he actually very much loves the game, just the way he talks about it. Obviously, it's got the South Park stuff in there. You're not actually going to play Magic against Rooster or whatever. But as far as the actual gameplay, it was surprisingly realistic. <laughs> Welcome back to the bakery, everyone, where we break bread with the world's finest. Today, we're very lucky to be with Seth Waterman, popularly known as Saffron Olive, the enigmatic mind behind the magical world of MTG Goldfish. MTG Goldfish is a popular Magic the Gathering content hub with over 250,000 subscribers on YouTube. Here, Seth creates content ranging from deck text to articles to videos with financial insights. We're really excited for this episode and we look forward to covering topics such as Post Malone's love for the game and the future of the trading card game that is Magic the Gathering. Seth, thank you so much for being here with us today and your hair is looking iconic as always. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. I'm super, uh, super glad we get a chance to chat. I'm, uh, I'm flattered. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing super well. It's uh, always an interesting time in Magic, but the, the last few weeks have been especially busy and interesting, so I'm, uh, I've been enjoying it. Okay, that's good. So um, as you know, we're the, we're the Loaf podcast, so we like to get started with some pretty heavy content to, to begin. Um, we want to ask you a pretty important question. That is, what is your favorite bread? Oh, my favorite. My favorite. I'm kind of a like a boring bread eater there uh, i would say okay uh actually it's probably italian bread italians i think make the the best bread i don't know if i have real italian bread because i'm in the u.s so i get the like our version of italian bread but i'll go with that i'll go with italian brilliant brilliant uh so i've been playing magic for years basically since i was a little kid and i've watched so many of your videos uh much brew against the odds all of it and to start us off I just wanted to break the ice and ask you what your favorite magic card of all time is. That's that's really tough. There's two, really. So one of them is Panharmonicon. I've loved that card. It just doubles all of your Enters the Battlefield abilities ever since it was printed. On the other end of the spectrum, I also really love Blood Moon because I just love making my opponents not play magic. So the it's I always go back and forth between those two, but it's it's one of those two. I expected Panamonicon, but with with Blood Moon, you know, I've, I'm a burn player, so I've always had to build my burn deck, you know, always with an eye out for that card. It's a good choice. Oh yeah, no, it's a it's a lot of fun to play with, not as much fun to play against, exactly. I don't think. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I feel kind of unqualified to be doing this part of the interview. I'm not I'm not as knowledgeable as Lucas about Magic: The Gathering. I've done a little bit of research before the interview, um, but I'm still lost. So for our side of the listeners as well. Um, could you summarize the game as succinctly as possible for somebody who doesn't know it and, and for all of our listeners, maybe? Yeah, so Magic the Gathering's a collectible card game or a trading card game. It's been around for 30 years now. They're actually just celebrating the 30th uh, anniversary of the game this month. So it's been around forever. If you're familiar with, like, Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh, it's kind of in that same range where uh, you have cards with cool kind of fantasy art that you can collect, and you can also play a game with them uh, on various levels. There's people that just kind of play for fun at their kitchen table with their friends, and then there's like pro-level events where you have the more competitive aspect. So how much how much of the playing is, is determined on like the specific cards you have? So for example, at the pro level, would it make a huge difference if you had like a significantly better deck than somebody else, or how would that work? 
Yeah, so maybe the easiest way, what actually brought me into magic at first, I, I didn't grow up a big fan of like fantasy or anything, so the, the fantasy aspect of magic wasn't a big draw. When I first found the game though, it reminded me a lot of poker. So if you don't know any like Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon magic stuff, uh, think of magic kind of as poker, where there's a lot of luck involved, but it also will uh, be heavily influenced. The outcome will be heavily influenced by what cards you put in your deck, what uh, cards you choose, what cards you draw, because that's also random. So so I think the variance level is actually very similar to something like poker, where skill is involved and your deck choices and your deck building is part of it. But there's also just a, a layer of luck of what cards you happen to draw in any specific game. I think from here we can get into some of the, the real meat about your journey with magic. Now that for our listeners, they, they might have a little bit of an idea what magic is. So Seth, I wanted to start with your journey in magic. How, when did you learn to play? Who taught you? What was that experience like? So I, yeah, I uh, never played growing up. And then uh, when I was in college, I actually had a friend, a roommate, who uh, had a bunch of old Magic cards and ended up learning the game from him. We had a little play group with, uh, with friends in college. So that was around original Ravnica, so like mid-2000s, maybe like 15, wow, maybe longer than that uh, ago now. So that's, that's how I first learned, played really casually, and I've started to do more and more from there. But that was my first experience with Magic. Thank you. Yeah. So you started off more casual, I guess, and now it's pretty much become your profession. You do, you do the YouTube, you do the, the Instagram stuff with, with card release um, news and all that kind of thing. But I understand you, it came about from you started writing on a subreddit, a magic finance subreddit. So can you talk us yeah. through your journey from like hobby to career? And when did you start to properly take it seriously as something you could do? Yeah, that is uh, actually something that happened very accidentally. So one of the interesting aspects of Magic is you have the game, but you also have a, a huge collectability aspect and a huge market that is developed around Magic cards. So uh, I used to, when I first started uh, playing Magic, I was became interested in the prices. And one of the things I would do is they sell Magic cards in what they call booster boxes that have a bunch of packs of random cards in them. And you can go through the cards in the set and figure out the expected value of if you open one of these boxes. So if you open a box, are you going to get your money back? Are you going to make money? Are you going to lose money? So I found that very interesting. I've always loved uh, statistics. So I used to uh, just calculate that for fun. And eventually I realized, well, maybe this could help other people. So I started posting uh, these expected value breakdowns on the MTG Finance Reddit. And people seemed to like them. They were uh, pretty popular and helpful. And that's how I ended up actually meeting Richard, who was uh, at the same time uh, doing the back end stuff of starting uh, MTG Goldfish as a website. Wow, that's that's really interesting. Just I think I started it was Magic 2014, so M14, and I got my first booster box, and it was it was very very exciting. Um, but just to follow up on on what you said, you're clearly interested in this financial side of Magic. Is that the primary thing that drives your passion for creating content, or is it something else? So I did, in the, when I first started making content, finance was more of a driver than it is today. The, one of the weird things that happened in my content creation is when I first started making content, it was much more finance focused. And then I started also doing like more of the gameplay content, videos of me actually like playing games of magic, building decks. And there's kind of a weird tension there because you have a, a little bit of disagreement between players and collectors. Like players really want cards as cheap as possible. Collectors appreciate more expensive cards. So as I started doing more gameplay content, I started to 
move away from as much finance content just so there was no appearance of like a conflict of interest there are people that think well you put this card in your deck to try to like make it popular and get the price to go up because you probably bought a thousand copies of them and you're trying to like manipulate the market or something so the more popular my gameplay content become uh became the less finance content I ended up making so much more in the early days of my content I was very focused on finance I still love it and follow it but I don't do it as much as I used to today so you mentioned that's quite interesting how you said the, the conflict of interest you're gonna like you're gonna popularize a card that you bought so they really do work kind of like stocks and shares almost oh yeah if Oh, it's very, very, actually the, the market aspect of magic is very much like the stock market. Actually, if you go over to MTG Goldfish, uh, the website we have, you can see the, the price charts of the cards over the last like 15 years, which just looks exactly like a, a stock price chart. Uh, you have the supply and the demand and all, like, all those things like happen in the magic market as well. The thing that makes it a little more complicated is it's completely unregulated. So things that would be very illegal in a, the stock market are kind of, I guess, fair game in uh, in the magic market which has led to some uh, sketchy situations over over the years has there ever been like a like sort of like a big controversy with somebody like getting like ousted from the community or whatever or being banned from playing because of like i don't know insider trading like you said that situation having all the cards and then trying to make it popular or something so there's definitely been accusations of like pump and dump schemes there's been accusations of like vendors who primarily sell cards like getting set lists of unreleased cards early so they would be able to uh control the market with the with that knowledge so there's been many accusations i don't know of anyone that's actually been banned from the game because of that because like i said it's like not technically illegal it's just kind of unethical i think so there's there's not really a mechanism for banning someone for doing questionable financial things in the magic market mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess it would only be possible to be banned in like the online version anyway. I wanted to ask a little bit in that note about um, the e-gaming scene in Magic and the, and the um, like board game version. What would you say are like the pros and cons of online versus board and how different is that game to play? So on one hand, the games are very similar, like Wizards of the Coast, the company that makes Magic, they've tried to make sure that the paper game and the digital versions are more or less exactly the same. Uh, the biggest difference is actually the financial aspects. Like uh, paper decks can be very expensive. Uh, if you're playing digitally though, those cards tend to be a lot cheaper or some are given away for free. There's like free to play models and so forth in some of the games. Uh, the other big difference is just the, the social aspect. It's called Magic the Gathering because traditionally you get together with people, play face to face, you have the in-person interaction. That's something that's pretty much completely missing from digital play. The upside of digital play is it's cheaper and you can just play anytime you want to. You can be, you know, at home in your underwear at two in the morning and get in a game of magic when much harder to do that with the, the physical version of the game. That's that's interesting, especially that you mentioned price. And again, you're very interested in this financial aspect. So I was wondering how accessible magic is. Like does the online version make it easier for people to get involved i mean it's an expensive game and then we also have other issues of accessibility in relation to less women playing than men so i was wondering what your opinion on that was so as far as the accessibility paper paper magic on a competitive level is not a very accessible game 
On the other hand, you can play the game very cheaply casually, so it really depends on what your goals are. Like, if you just want to have a deck to play with your friends, you can do that for... 40 bucks, 50 bucks, and be pretty happy and have a ton of fun. If you're trying to play in tournaments or so forth, you're going to be spending thousands or tens of thousands of dollars and having to do that like fairly regularly to keep your decks up to date as new cards come out. Digital Play has helped with that because the newest digital client, uh, Magic Arena, does have a completely free-to-play mode. So you can theoretically earn all the cards with just your time. It is very time consuming, so I guess it depends on how you value your time versus how you value your money. Nothing's uh, actually free in the end, but I think that the digital, uh, Magic Green in specific, has certainly helped uh, open up the possibility of many more players playing who wouldn't have just been able to afford the, the physical version of the game. That's, that's interesting. I was, because it's, it's interesting, I, when I was younger, and I didn't have just thousands to spend. I would play a lot of, of limited, and I feel like limited is quite an accessible way of, of playing competitively, so I'd play against adults, but in a limited format, everyone just puts in $20 or $25, whatever it is, and you're all at the same base level because you've got these randomized cards. Yeah, limited is great for that. I think the only downside of limited, and I don't know if you ran into this as you were learning, but it's also like kind of complicated because you have to be able to like know what cards to pick out of a pack. You need to be able to build a deck on a fly. So there is uh, an extra layer of just um, uh, of effort that goes in, I think, to playing limited for a brand new player. But once you get past that, uh, it is a very, a very accessible way to play the game. So I would agree with that. I always found it so much fun to to then build the deck and then play. Always adding that extra layer is just so exciting. But just to to bring the argument of e-gaming and online, just to bring it to your experience, which one do you prefer to play? Is that online or, or um, in person? So really, most of my most of my magic playing has been online. I've always I've played casually and for fun in paper, but as far as any competitive play, I've never never really done the competitive thing in paper. So personally, I love playing online. I've just always enjoyed it. On the other hand, there's nothing like getting together with some friends and having some drinks or whatever and playing a game of Commander. It's a really fun like board game night to have with your your friends. So, I would say digital overall, but there's certainly uh, some upsides to paper play as well. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I guess online is what allows it to grow as like a huge community and it kind of has done as the beginnings of an esport. Where do you see the growth of Magic as an esport? Do you, do you think it could become something that's much bigger and played like, you know, the way Fortnite is almost in a way in e-gaming? Do you see do you see it expanding? Unfortunately, uh, I I think the answer to that is no at this point. A few years ago, so in 2018, they launched uh, Magic Arena, the new digital client, and there was a really big push to make Magic into an eSport. And these uh, Wizards of the Coast spent two or three years really focusing on uh, trying to make the game an eSport. It didn't actually work out the way they wanted to, so in just the last year or two, we've seen a shift back towards uh, paper play for competitive uh, formats. And really Wizards has more or less stopped trying to make the game the eSport. Now they're very focused on casual play and uh, paper play. The digital clients are still there. They're still very popular, but I don't think the goal anymore is to make Magic an eSport. I think it was five years ago, but I think they've sort of canceled that plan because it just didn't work out the way they hoped. Fair, fair enough. I was so following from that, what do you see the future of magic being as a whole if not necessarily in the e-gaming sense where is, is magic going to go is is in-person magic going to remain popular and how relevant is money 
in 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 all these decisions that Hasbro make here. Oh, I think that at this point, money is the the d determining factor in all these decisions. We've seen more and more. Uh, if you look at Hasbro's, uh, who owns Wizards of the Coast, if you look at their like quarterly financial reports or anything, uh, Wizards and Magic is one of the only brands they have that's actually profitable. So in a lot of ways, Magic is kind of supporting uh, the whole company alongside D&D &D and the other Wizards properties. So I think that the focus now is really on uh, Universes Beyond is one of the biggest new things they've added, which is making sets based on other IPs. We just had a, a Lord of the Rings set a couple of months ago, which apparently is going to be the most popular, best-selling magic set of all time. They just released their newest numbers for the latest quarter. So I think that's the, the focus going forward. They've talked about shifting away from magic being a game to sort of a rules engine, where you can put all different sorts of IPs on the cards and still play the game so i think that's the the focus is reaching out to all these different fandoms all these different groups that maybe have never heard of magic and making magic cards for them with fortnite cards and with lord of the rings cards and we have doctor who cards coming up and uh and stuff like that so i think that's really the the primary focus right now yeah i think we'll touch on that a little bit later especially in terms of what uh, recent news was but it's interesting regarding this dungeons and dragons and lord of the rings but i think We'll touch on that in a moment, but Oli, I think, has his question first. Yeah, I was going to ask you um, if you've played sort of any other games to the same extent or not to the same extent and how that's influenced your perception of magic and your content creation and stuff. Uh, so... I was never like a, so I grew up playing just random video games, playing Halo and just like any any console games, but I was never like super into a game like uh, like I have been with Magic. I think the game that I've played the most outside of Magic is actually uh, Civilization. I love uh, I love Civilization. It, I don't know if it's really relevant to my uh, content in any way though. So honestly, no, I've never really played Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or any of these other games. So I guess uh, I guess the answer would just be no, as weird as that probably sounds. That's interesting. What do you think the unique appeal is of Magic in that sense? Magic is just a really good game. Like, the actual, like, mechanics of the game, the way the game plays, as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, the best game that has been made. Uh, maybe not ever. There's been some really amazing games over the, uh, the course of human history. But as far as I'm concerned, it is just a really, really great game. You have the variants of poker, but you also have a ton of skills on top of that. And the, the problem with a game like poker is you only have 52 cards that you're playing with every time. There's 30,000 magic cards or something. So there's endless options. So the game is just so big and the game is so good that I think that magic by itself can uh, can eat up all your gaming time very easily and keep you uh, very occupied. Yeah, especially with all the different formats. And just from that, I was wondering what your favorite format was. Overall, my favorite format's modern. I think I'm someone who loves brewing decks. That's one of my favorite things to do is just make my own decks, playing weird interactions and cards. And modern has 20 years of cards in it. So there's a, a lot of options compared to smaller formats like standard or pioneer. So modern's, uh, modern's my favorite. You said, I'm interested. You said there's 30,000 cards total. So like a first question is how many do you reckon you know after all your years of time? And, and second is like, does some of them come out of circulation and stuff? Or is there just like 30,000 that you can properly use? How does it work? So Magic has a bunch of different formats. Uh, so there's a format called Vintage, which is the format where you can literally play any card that you want to. So there is a, a way to play the game that involves all the cards. Although uh, that format's very expensive. A single deck is forty or $50,000 a lot of times. So it's not very heavily played at this point because most people just can't afford it. The most popular formats involve the last 
three years of cards, the last 10 years of cards. Uh, and there's uh, probably the biggest format is called Standard, and it has a rotation every year. So a year's worth of cards will drop out as the next year's worth of cards come in to keep the format fresh and changing. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's really interesting because obviously Ollie doesn't know that much about it. It's, it, it's funny because I just mentioned formats and it's, it's cool to see it from someone else's perspective, someone who doesn't know the game at all. And Ollie, I was wondering if this, yeah. Ollie, I was wondering if this for you is, is going to now inspire you to start playing the game. You know, maybe I'll start playing the free version, but I think it'll be a while until I get sufficiently invested to play vintage. We'll have to see. <laughs> uh, it's not like I have that capital anyway. Yeah, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of capital, um, and for you, Seth, who's really interested in this financial aspect of magic and trading card games, uh, I was wondering if you heard about Post Malone, who just two days ago bought a magic card for about $2 million. Yes, uh, that uh, that was big news just uh, not too long ago. So yeah, I've definitely heard about that scenario. I was wondering what you, th what you thought about that, these kind of huge amounts of money being invested in what's arguably you know, not even a real magic well you i wouldn't say not a real magic card but it's this one ring collectible trait what i mentioned uh, what we mentioned earlier in terms of these other ips getting involved in magic what do, what do you think about that these huge amounts of money being pumped in the honestly i think it's i think it's actually probably a good thing overall so in the case of the one ring in specific it's very important to know there's a version of the One Ring that costs $50. So if you want it, which is still, I wish that version was cheaper so people wouldn't have to spend $50 for the base version. But there is a, a very cheap accessible version. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, doing things like the One of One, the One Ring, and having it sell for millions of dollars, it seems like good publicity for the game as long as... As long as the game pieces themselves that you need to actually play the game are, are accessible and cheaper. So uh, I think that Post Malone has actually been an amazing thing for Magic because you can tell he actually very much loves the game, just the way he talks about it. And uh, I'm glad that it's someone like that that ended up with the card rather than someone who's uh, just using it as an investment and it's going to sit in there, you know, safe for a few years. I, I think Post is someone who will actually enjoy it. So I'm glad it ended up with him. It's... it's um. It's a curious one. I was before we get into this idea of celebrity figures who play magic. I was wondering what you think about uh, a little bit more in detail these crossovers with the different IPs. How do you how do you see that as part of the game? Do you think it removes a little bit from the experience of Magic: The Gathering as this original world? I think it does. Like it's there's definitely upsides and downsides to it. I think uh, one of the downsides is. It does take away from Magic's original flavor. Uh, over Magic's history, there's been many kind of iconic storylines, many characters, and having a random Lord of the Rings character, a Fortnite character, or even a D&D character just like show up in a game, it is a little bit weird and jarring. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's worth it in the end. I think, so out of these crossovers, the one that's been least well-received by the community so far has been a Fortnite crossover, which is pretty easy, I think, to, uh, to meme on and that and that crossover in specific like i have a little nephew who's like 12 years old and loves fortnite and that was an easy way for me to like bring up magic to him and he actually got interested in the game as a result of it so my hope is even though there is a cost to these crossovers and it does diminish the lore of magic and the flavor of magic i'm hopeful that maybe it'll actually be a good thing in the end just because it'll reach out to more people and bring in a, a new audience that probably would have never heard of the game if it wasn't for some of these crossovers yeah, I think crossover decks is one. Like we just said, celebrities are another. So you have like, for example, I've heard of, like I was looking it all up before, of course I'm, I'm really played Magic, but you have Neil Patrick Harris, 
Seth Rogen, these sorts of names. Do you think, like, to what extent do you think they're helping to generate revenue for Magic the Gathering? And how do you think Magic the Gathering would survive without these sorts of crossovers and stuff? So, as far as the celebrity thing, honestly, before Post Malone came around, I don't think celebrities had a meaningful impact on Magic or the bottom line. It was more of a curiosity. It was something you could Google, and people who played Magic would think it was cool. Oh, Seth Rogen like, said he played Magic one time. But there really haven't been too many celebrities who have really been active in the community as far as like playing the game or playing in tournaments uh until post malone came around he's a, really the first one i think who's uh like an a-tier celebrity that also like really loves magic and goes to events and you see him playing with cards so i think that post malone is has changed the equation a little bit as far as magic celebrities uh, before before him no one really moved the needle but i think the post malone thing actually as has mattered just because he's so upfront about his love for the game and public about it yeah, it's um, magic. It's a weird one because it is so popular, but at the same time, so little people actually know about it. If you ask a random person on the street. Um, and before we wrap up with this, what's been an amazing interview, and in relation to this idea of public, um, uh, public idea of magic, I was wondering if you've ever seen the South Park episode where they play magic. Yes, I have. <laughs> I was wondering how accurately you think that represents the game or what do you think about that episode uh, i think the episode is absolutely hilarious and i will say like obviously it's got the south park stuff in there you're not actually gonna play magic against rooster or whatever <laughs> but as far as the actual gameplay it was surprisingly realistic like i was actually surprised by how well they actually represented magic as a game so i loved it i thought it was super funny and uh and actually a surprisingly good representation yeah it's hilarious i just watched it before they said I think the episode's called Cocked Magic because they're playing against roosters, but it's, it's just hilarious. And I think we'll, we'll probably put a clip in right now um, from that episode. Gadnock, Breaker of Worlds, plays a creature card. Jesus, Paragon of Fierce Defiance. Now every red creature Gadnock plays will have a plus one attack. But for everyone who's listening or watching and hasn't seen it, you should definitely check out that South Park episode. And it's a good way of learning a little bit more about the game. But Seth, it's been amazing. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And I was wondering if you had any concluding thoughts after this interview. Ah, well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, if you haven't ever played Magic, uh, check out mtggoldfish.com. We have pretty much everything uh, everything you need to learn the game. And give it a shot. Magic Arena, the d uh, new digital client, is a great way to get started. It'll guide you through the rules. So uh, if you're interested, I would uh, recommend giving it a try because it is a really good game. Oli, any concluding thoughts? My concluding thoughts are I will try, 100%. You know, I came, I, <laughs> I came in and Lucas always used to explain to me how complicated it was and how, because he's, he's from Malta, so there wasn't that many people who were playing. It's quite a small island. And so he would just go to um, these sort of like shops where it would be, he was like 10 years old, right? He didn't really have people his age playing. And he would go and play with a bunch of like 30-year-olds or something. And I was like, you know, that doesn't sound like my kind of thing. But he he hearing it from you in this interview has interested me. So uh, I definitely think it's something I, I'm going to try. But Seth, thank you so much for coming on. This has been the Loaf Podcast. It's been another brilliant episode in the bakery. Um, and we look forward to seeing you guys next episode. Yeah.